Well, hey, everybody, so great to be with you, whether you're here in the room or joining us online, we're honored to have you along for the ride. Um, And we're in the second week of a series that we've called The Way Forward, in which we're trying to answer a really great question. I think it's a question we've all asked at one point or another along the journey of life. The question goes like this, uh, what can you do when you don't know what to do? right? Like, what can you do when you've made such a mess of your life that you just can't see the way forward? Those times when you've run out of answers and you feel more or less hopeless. As I mentioned last week, um, as a pastor, I regularly meet with people who've reached moments like that in their lives, and for all sorts of different reasons, people who can't see past the mess of their present reality. Sometimes it's a financial mess. Sometimes it's a a physical mess brought about by long-term consequences of a destructive habit. Or or maybe it's some sort of relational mess. I mean, these things seem to come in all sorts of different flavors. Uh, And here's the thing. Um, Of these people who willingly confess that their life is a mess, many of them also confess Well, that kind of the mess was their fault, right? Like they ignored someone who told them not to do what they did, or or maybe they even, and maybe we've all done this, ignored themselves. You ever done that? (laughs) Like something deep inside of them was screaming, don't do this, don't text him, don't go there, don't click that link, but they did it anyway, and consequently their life is a mess, and it's kind of their fault, (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Um, If any of that resonates with you today, like you walked in here and all of a sudden you're feeling like just you and I are having a conversation, um, I really need to invite you to lean in because honestly, I have some really great news. And, And it goes like this. Around here, we are absolutely convinced that your mess can help you build a relationship with God. It really can. In fact, I'm convinced that God loves to meet people in the midst of their messes. Like it's what he does all the time because of who he is. And with the rest of our time together today, I want to show you why I believe that to be the case. Okay, so now to get us going in that direction, I want to remind you of something that Jesus said one day during a conversation with a Jewish religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. Uh, And I'm telling you, during that conversation, Jesus articulated some of the most beautiful hopeful words ever to be spoken on planet earth. Uh, So here's what he said. And if you've been around church at all, you have heard this verse before. Uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, for God so loved our messy, broken, beautiful world and every messy, broken, beautiful person on it that he sent his son to rescue everyone who desired to be rescued from the ultimate consequences of their sin. And, and as, good, as, as good a news as that is, it actually gets even better because of what Jesus said next. And the next verse is not nearly as famous as the part we just read, but I'm telling you, it's every bit as powerful and hope-inducing, especially during times when you find yourself sitting in a mess and maybe even feeling like because of that mess, God wants nothing to do with you anymore. So here's, here's what Jesus said. He said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Said a bit differently, God didn't send Jesus to earth in order to scold people for the messes that they've made of their lives. 
And he didn't send Jesus to punish people for the harm that they'd done to their marriages and their children and their coworkers and their neighbors and their friends. Instead, and this is huge, God sent Jesus in the world both to provide a way for people to spend forever with him and honestly to show all people everywhere that in this life, whatever the mess, because of Jesus, well, there's always a way forward. Always from every messy situation. Okay, so now I'm telling you, um, if you read those accounts of the life of Jesus in the New Testament carefully, you'll see that not only did Jesus say this, but he sort of embodied it over and over again as he interacted with messy people. In fact, what I want to do with our time together today is to unpack two of my favorite examples of this principle from the life of Jesus. And then I want to talk about what I think all of it means for you and me. So here's the first example. Um, In his account of the life of Jesus, a man named John recorded that early one morning, Jesus was teaching in the courts of the Jewish temple complex in Jerusalem. This is a picture of a model that you can visit uh, in the city of Jerusalem today. The temple fell in 70 AD, but they still have a model you can look at, so that's something, right? Uh, But anyway, Jesus was teaching in the courts of the Jewish temple complex when some of the religious leaders uh, dragged a woman before him who they had caught the night before in the act of adultery, which, let's be honest, is a bit awkward and raises a lot of questions. Like, were they on patrol? Just think, I thought that was funny. Anyway, um, as you can imagine, that morning, this woman gets dropped before Jesus in the temple courts, and she would have felt like a complete mess. I mean, she had been brought within a few meters of the holiest place on earth to the Jewish people, the temple, where they believed God's spirit dwelled. And with the public exposure of her sin, she would have been completely humiliated. I mean, there was a crowd that had gathered that day to hear Jesus teach. So she just had to be thinking, like, I'm a goner. There's like no way this ends well for me. I mean, the religious leaders want to make an example of me. Uh, The crowd is going to judge me. And God, I mean, I broke one of the Ten Commandments, like the ones that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. There's no way that God would want anything to do with me anymore. I'm, I'm dirty. I'm damaged. I mean, from heaven's perspective, I'm not, I'm not worthy of relationship. I, that, that's what she would have been feeling that morning in the temple courts. But, but as it turns out, and I think this is really interesting, her public shaming was actually not why the religious leaders had brought her to Jesus. Uh, they wanted her to be a, a prop in which they could discredit Jesus in the eyes of the assembled crowd. And they had a very good reason to want to do that. See, at the time, Jesus was quickly emerging as a legitimate threat to their leadership and their influence because, well, people liked Jesus and they really didn't like the religious leaders. And so they wanted to do whatever they could to sort of turn the crowds against Jesus. And uh, as it turns out, they had been listening to Jesus teach and they had begun to suspect that maybe they could turn the crowds from Jesus by exposing them to the fact that, well, Jesus didn't really seem to follow the Old Testament laws, at least not in the way that they understood them. And and so in this particular case, they thought this is a great, great opportunity because, man, in this case, the Old Testament law, you know, uh, really couldn't have been any more clear about what was supposed to happen to a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery, So uh, let me just show you quickly the relevant Old Testament law. It read like this. It says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, uh, both the man who slept with her and the woman 
must die. Like, and just fun detail, you must purge the evil from Israel. Mm -hmm. And I know what you're thinking. Good thing we have a new covenant, right? That's what you were thinking. Yeah. Anyway, um, as a brief aside before we go any further, this week as I was preparing this talk, I noticed something that I just have to mention about this scene. Uh, Namely, that if the religious leaders were really challenging Jesus on whether or not he was going to follow the letter of the Old Testament law with regards to what was going on that day, then you just got to ask, where the heck was the guy with whom this woman was with when she was caught, like in the act of adultery? Where was the dude, right? I mean, you can't exactly commit adultery alone. At least I don't think so. But anyway, back to the story. Uh, The religious leaders dragged this poor woman, tragically embarrassed, to the temple and right in front of Jesus and then asked Jesus what he thought should be done with her. And, well, after a brief conversation that basically left the God squad more or less speechless, Jesus looked at this woman and said something that, at least from her perspective, could not have been more unexpected. Confronted with the full reality of her sin and her mess, Jesus looked at this woman and said to her, I don't condemn you. In other words, um, I'm not going to punish you or sentence you or even shame you. I'm I'm, I'm I'm not going to give you what you deserve. In fact, I'm going to give you precisely what you don't deserve. Because as it turns out, that's why I've come but I think then he would say with her, but, but hang with me because there's more you need to hear because even though your actions aren't in line with God's design, like at all, I still love you just as you are. And because of that love, I want to offer you a way forward from your mess. And Jesus described that way forward this way. He said, go now. And leave your life of sin. In other words, he says to this woman, hey, if you want to move away from your mess, follow me. Because, and and this is huge, following me is the way forward from every mess. And I think the woman would have been stunned. I mean, it's easy for us to miss the power of this moment, but she would not have missed the power of this moment. I mean, it... If what Jesus had just said to her was true and what Jesus didn't say to her represented the heart of God, then, well, then she was going to have to rethink everything that she'd ever thought about God. I'm telling you, as a result of this encounter, this woman's life and her faith would never be the same again. And here's what's so fascinating to me. This was the sort of thing that Jesus did all the time. In fact, that brings me to our second example. Uh, this one is from a man named Luke's account of the life of Jesus. And Luke tells us that one day, uh, while traveling up to Jerusalem, Jesus and his first followers had to walk through a city called Jericho. Um, and at some point along their journey, Jesus looked up in a sycamore fig tree, much like this one, which conveniently is located in the town of Jericho. It has a fence around it, which is a little weird for a tree right? But it's because all the tourists like to take their picture with the tree and, of course, would climb up the tree if there weren't the fence. And they'll tell you that this was actually the tree. No, it wasn't the tree. But anyway, that's a sycamore tree, fig tree in Jericho. Uh, And so Jesus is walking through town, walking by this tree, when he glances up and he spots a famously vertically challenged Jewish man named Zacchaeus looking down at him. And uh, Luke doesn't 
tell us this specifically, but as I imagine the scene, there would have been some large muscle-bound bodyguards wearing black Ray-Bans and earpieces keeping watch at the base of the tree that day. Uh, and they would have been there because Zacchaeus would have hired them in order to keep him safe because, um, well, due to his questionable choice of vocation, Zacchaeus had made a complete mess of his life and his relationships. Zacchaeus was a Jewish man who worked as a tax collector. And in first century Israel, the Jewish people hated tax collectors, especially Jewish tax collectors who worked for Rome. They were traitors to their people. Uh, I mean, in Jesus' day, whenever someone took a job as a tax collector, they were empowered by Rome to collect the funds necessary to maintain the oppressive policies of the Roman military machine. Moreover, and, and this, is really, this really fueled the hatred, Rome permitted their local tax collectors to charge more than they required as a way to compensate them for their services. And so practically, this meant that Zacchaeus had spent much of his adult life ripping off his neighbors ripping off his friends. And I'm telling you, that day, um, you know, for Zacchaeus, this life that he had chosen, he's well down the path. I, I think it's fair to say that day, um, he saw no way forward and no way out. Um, as I imagine it, um, he's up there in the tree that day, um, and he's there because he secretly hated what he had become and quietly suspected that God hated him too. I mean, tax collectors weren't allowed on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem, they were outsiders. So Zacchaeus would have been thinking, you know, um, why would God want anything to do with me after what I've done and after what I continue to do? Like, I'm dirty. I'm damaged. From heaven's perspective, I'm not worthy of relationship. But, but here's the thing. As I imagine it, Zacchaeus had just heard just enough about Jesus to pique his interest. I don't know that it was full-fledged hope that was rising, but there was at least curiosity because Jesus, he wasn't like the other religious leaders that Zacchaeus knew. He had heard stories about Jesus, not only about the miracles, but about how Jesus was, was more present with people and less aloof. And perhaps more significantly that, well, Jesus didn't condemn people who broke the religious rules. He didn't fit the mold. In fact, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and Jesus seemed to like them back. And, and so I think Zacchaeus had decided that day that he wanted to see Jesus for himself just once from a safe distance. And that said, I don't think we can begin to imagine what would have raced through his mind when on his way through Jericho, Jesus stopped, looked up at Zacchaeus, and said words that would literally change the course of his life. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. In other words, Zacchaeus, I want to be your guest. I want to sit at your table. I want to hear your story. I want to be your friend. I mean, I'm telling you, even though, um, Zacchaeus, even though it's hard for you to believe from heaven's perspective, you're not too far gone. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much. And moreover, I'm not here to give you what you deserve. In fact, I'm going to give you exactly what you don't deserve. That's why I've come. And what's more, um, I'm willing to meet you with amazing grace right here and right now in the midst of your mess. But then from that space, after you've encountered this grace, I'm going to invite you to follow me moving forward. Because as it turns out, following me is always the way forward. 
And again, I'm telling you, it's easy for us to miss the power of this moment, but Zacchaeus would not have. Because if what Jesus just said to him and didn't say to him was true, then he was going to have to rethink everything that he had ever thought about God. And it was true, and so he was going to have to rethink everything he thought about God. It's no exaggeration to say that as a result of this encounter, Zacchaeus' life and Zacchaeus' faith would never be the same. In fact, Luke tells us that shortly after sharing a meal with Jesus, Luke, uh, Zacchaeus rather, walked out into his community, the same community in which nobody liked him or trusted him, and he began to pay back all he had stolen from his neighbors with interest. In other words, after experiencing the love and grace of Jesus firsthand, the love and grace of God firsthand, Zacchaeus began to follow Jesus in ways that would have completely astonished the people of Jericho. Like, what happened? Which brings me to the point in this talk when I want to explore briefly what I think all this means for you and for me. Because I, I think as it turns out, it means a lot. Like it means um, no matter how messy your life is right now, and no matter how much of that mess is your fault, the God who created the heavens and the earth wants to offer you a way forward by following the example of Jesus. He wants to meet you in amazing grace and then show you the way forward. And I know this because, I mean, God didn't pull back from the messy, broken people in Jesus' day, and he doesn't pull back from the messy, broken people in our day either. Instead, if you'll invite him, because he won't do it without you, and you really can't do it without him either, but that's a talk for another day. But if you'll invite him, he'll enter your mess with you and will lead you forward one step at a time. So whatever your mess, there is hope. But I remember as I was working on my talk this week, I got to this point, because I'm always trying to figure out what you're going to say to yourself at this point. And I, I think I know what a few of you at least are saying. Um, and especially if you're here today and your life is a mess and it's your fault, you're like, okay, okay, preachy boy, that sounds great. That's great. Love it. Hope. Yay. But if we're honest, if I'm honest, it's not exactly what I want if I'm sitting in the middle of a mess of my own making. I mean, you know, say, well, what, what, what do you want in that moment? I think if I'm honest, in those moments, I don't really want to like partner with God to slowly recover from my mess by following after Jesus. I mean, I get it conceptually, but that's not what I want. What I want is to be rescued like now from my mess. I, I, I think what I, I put it this way, I would rather God be a bit more like triple A. Are you with me on this? Yeah. Like I, I want to pray and have him show up in like 30 minutes or less and then fix my problem. That's what I want. But but if that's what you're thinking, well, you probably weren't thinking this, but you know what I'm saying. Um, that's not how it works, and you already know that, but what you probably don't know is why it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because God loves you way too much to do it that way. Like, his goal isn't just to fix your mess like some sort of genie in a bottle. He wants to build a relationship with you. 
He wants you to experience him as your heavenly father. And so consequently, like any good father, he knows that relationship is far more important than behavior. Relationship is far more important than behavior. And let me try to say that a different way, um, maybe help you see what I'm trying to get at. As many of you know, my wife and I have four boys. And, and in this picture, they look really angelic because it's one of those professional Christmas card photos. But I'm telling you, there are no halos on these four. I'm just saying, okay? Yeah, yeah. And I got grief from them between the services, but there's a nice picture anyway. No, um, but here's the thing. My wife and I would much rather have imperfect children who love us than perfectly obedient children who don't really care for us or who simply obey us out of fear. We would rather have imperfect children with whom we have a relationship than perfectly obedient children who simply obey us out of fear. And according to Jesus, whatever that is in us as imperfect parents reflects something of our perfect heavenly father. And just to save the emails, of course God cares about our behavior. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that our behavior is actually not the most important thing to him. He wants so much more for us than that. He wants a relationship with us. And that's why he invites us over and over and over and over again to trust him by following the way of Jesus from wherever we are whatever our mess. And to be fair, it is an admittedly slower process. But here's the thing, and I've done this for a long time. I'm telling you, if, if we submit to it, we will not only emerge from our mess, but we will emerge from our mess having cultivated a relationship, a living, breathing relationship with our Heavenly Father. And from His perspective, that's the win. Okay, so that brings me to our big idea for today. If you're new around here, um, each of these talks is built around one central idea, kind of a hook to hang the thought on. And I really like the big idea for today. I don't, I don't always show you on the screen, but today I'm going to. I don't want you to see this. So if you've drifted, come back. Check this out. Here's it. You can't pray yourself out of a mess into which you behaved yourself, right? You can't pray yourself out of a mess into which you behaved yourself. That's just not how it works. So there's no silver bullet and there's no magic prayer. And again, it's not because God doesn't care about you. It's actually because he cares so much about you. He, he, he loves you enough to meet you in the midst of your mess. And the incredible, unbelievable, wonderful news is that he's not offended by you. He doesn't condemn you. In fact, he sees your mess as an opportunity for you to invite him in. And, and, and so though you can't pray your way out of a mess you behaved your way into, the good news is that you can follow Jesus out of your mess. You can sort of follow the leader one step at a time. And when you do, you're well on your way to the day when the story of your life and the story of your faith will go something like this. And I, I love this summary. Um, and again, this is, I mean, I've been a pastor for 25 years. This is so many of our stories. I messed up. I gave up. I looked up. And God showed up. 
I messed up. I reached a point in my life when I could see no way forward. I had made such a mess of my relationships. I felt so worthless. I felt so worthless, in fact, that after trying and trying on my own, I just kind of gave up. And then I wandered into a place like this, or I sat with a friend at a coffee shop as a person of faith who's already been through this process. And they encouraged me to look up, and I didn't feel worthy of looking up, but I looked up, and when I did, and I didn't see this coming because I felt so unworthy, God showed up in my life in a way that absolutely left me stunned because he demonstrated worth that I didn't feel. And it, was, and it wasn't worth based on my behavior. My behavior was atrocious. It, it was worth based on my identity as being made in the image of God. And so I'm telling you, this, this isn't just the story of people who lived in Jesus' day. This is the story for countless people all over our world today. In fact, it's the story of many, many people who gather in this room and gather online. Like if you took us out to coffee and asked us, you'd have to buy. But if you did, um, we, you wouldn't have to buy, you know what I'm saying. But we, we, we would affirm that we didn't get rescued overnight from the mess that sparked our faith by praying some magic prayer. We would tell you that, uh, you know, when we were at our lowest, we surrendered and looked up and God showed up with grace in our lives. And it, was, it left us speechless because, again, it wasn't deserved, but that's what grace is. It's unwarranted favor. And so God showed up with grace in our lives. And then he invited us to move forward, to take the next step. We couldn't see three steps down the way. We couldn't see two steps down the way. We weren't even sure where this thing was headed, emotionally speaking. But we had enough courage just to take the first step. And then we took the next step. In fact, um, you probably noticed but out in the gathering space, we have that desk. It's labeled next steps. That's where the idea comes from. We all have a next step that we can take in following after Jesus. So when we were at our lowest, God showed up with grace and invited us to take the next step. And we did. And then we took the next step. And then we took the next step. And in the process, we learned to trust trust God about where life is found. And we found one day that our faith, well, it had moved from black and white to color as we developed a real relationship with God. I think a bunch of us would even confess this, and I don't like this, but I think it's true. It took the mess to arrange the meeting. Like, we grew up in church. We did the church thing. We listened to the choirs, and we sat in the pews, and we took the little mints when we got bored from our parents, and it was the routine, and we did it. And some of us were in church like three times a week, and we knew the Bible stories, but we didn't know him and, until the day when everything kind of fell apart. And then all of a sudden, we looked up, and he showed up. And before that meeting, like, we wouldn't wish the mess on anybody, but before the meeting, like, God was just a concept. He was somewhere out there. I mean, we could see it, it was real to our father and, and to our grandmother, but for us, it was more just sort of something that you did on a Sunday morning. It wasn't personal. But then when we actually reached the point when we surrendered to the call to follow Jesus from the midst of the mess, when we really experienced grace, not just as a concept, but on an emotional level, it's like God became real to us. And it was even better than that because not only did he become real, but we found him to be graceful and merciful and compassionate and faithful and loving and loyal. And, and then we go back to the, the Bible and we read and it's like 
well, yeah, of course, that's who he's been all along. I just couldn't see it before. But our Heavenly Father, he loves us more than we can possibly imagine. And because of that, I'm telling you, there really is hope in the midst of your mess because you are loved. And you're loved so much that God has sent his son to show you and to be the way forward. All right, we'll pick it up there uh, next week. But for now, if you're in the room, I'd love to invite you to stand. And I'll close our time together in prayer. And uh, if you had, sometimes people will email me and be like, I'm so glad other people came and listened in on our talk that you and I had. But um, if that's you, um, and you're here, and, and you're just like, I am, I don't know, I don't see the way forward. I, I, I get the concept. I need to just, I would love to talk to somebody, pray with somebody. We'd love to meet you under the screen to the left. Um, after I dismiss and just spend a few minutes uh, encouraging you. But for the rest of us, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, for those of us who have had that experience when we've reached the end of ourselves and we started to, to really understand what you were after, and then we, we had that moment we realized that the religion that we'd been pursuing, it was supposed to help us see it, but we just couldn't see it. But then when we got in our mess, we could see it for the first time. For those of us, and that's our story, we just want to say thank you for a grace that leaves us absolutely speechless and gives us a glimpse of how beautiful you are. And I also pray for friends in this space who've never had that experience. They've maybe gone through the routines of church and they've just found it kind of empty and dry but but today today they're listening and they're near the end and if that's if that's that spot I pray that they would just surrender they'd open up their hands they'd open up their heart and to say to God I, I don't see a way forward and I need your grace and for those friends I pray that they would experience you in a way that was undeniable they would know that they are loved just as they are, but you also love them too much to leave them where they are, and so you want to invite them forward. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his example. We thank you for the radical love that he shared with unlovable people like us. And we thank you for his death and resurrection and the hope that we will one day stand before you face to face. But for today, we bless you. We celebrate you in the matchless name of your son, our savior, King Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. We'll see you next week.